Hi everyone, I'm Joe Durkheising and welcome to Rumble in the Jungle. Today's guest is my friend Luke Griffith. Luke is a rising star in the Nogi grappling world, training at New Wave Jiu-Jitsu under coach John Danaher, Gordon Ryan, and Gary Tonin. Luke is a two-time ADCC trials champion, IBJJF brown belt world champion, and ADCC open absolute and weight class champion. He's also competed and won on many other major events, including Who's Number One, UFC Fight Pass Invitational, Enigma, and Aiga. Uh, Luke, welcome, and thanks for coming today. Uh, thanks for having me, Joe. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on the podcast and uh, have some fun talking today. Awesome. So before we get started, uh, just a couple of silly questions. Uh, so in your opinion, uh, being a South African, which animal is the most dangerous, a hippo or a lion? Okay, well, uh, I would say... Uh, statistically, it's definitely a hippo. I mean, they kill more people every year than almost any other animal. So it's just definitely going to be a hippo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe if we phrase this slightly different, if you had to have like a one-on-one altercation with one of these animals, a hippo or a lion? Okay. That, that's a tougher question. Um, I think a lion is definitely more uh, intimidating looking animal, you know? Um, but then again, uh, it's going to be tough. To, you wouldn't be able to outrun either one of them. And a hippo might be a little bit more vicious, so it's a tough one. But uh, I'm going to say just because of appearance, I wouldn't want to have an encounter with a lion. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, lions are definitely, like, the more scary looking. Yeah. Although I feel like if you had something, like, let's say we had, like, a spear. Yes. I feel like maybe with a spear, if you poke a lion a couple of times, it'd want to avoid danger and leave you alone. I feel like a hippo could take a good stabbing and just keep coming. It's true. The the other thing is, uh, I feel like you could climb a tree to avoid a hippo. Yes. Whereas you couldn't climb a tree to avoid a lion. That's a good point. So I, I think that uh, you might be able to kind of outsmart a, a hippo a little bit easier than a lion. That, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, I, I know this this may be semi-controversial. I think I already know what your opinion is going to be, but let me ask. Uh, so what's better, American beef jerky or bull tongue? Okay, so jerky is not terrible, um, but it's just it's not the same as, as bull tongue. So, you know, uh, before, when I initially came here, I was, you know, happy kind of eating beef jerky with something similar to biltong. But when you have the two together, uh, I mean, in my opinion, biltong is, is a little bit far, like, is a little bit superior to, to, yeah. to jerky. But they're not, they're not actually the same thing. I think, like, jerky is smoked, so it's, like, co- it's cooked uh, meat, whereas biltong is dried, is dried out meat. So it's not, it's not 100% the same, but, uh, I mean, I suppose growing up on biltong, I'd have a, I have a preference for that. Yeah. So, yeah. so having grown up in America and then when I went to South Africa, like we had a bunch of biltong there because yeah. people love it. Yeah. I'll say this. The nice thing about biltong is it's more like tender. It is. Sometimes you get beef jerky and you eat like a couple pieces, like your jaw will be tired, tired from yeah. chewing it. Yeah. And the biltong is just like, it's like buttery. Yes. It's it really is. good. Um, so, I mean, and, and like you, if you make your own biltong, like, uh, you know, if my dad went hunting and he, he'd shoot an animal, we hang the biltong up in our garage so you, you can dry it out yourself. Uh-huh. And then depending on how you like it, like if you like wetter biltong, which is like a less dried out, you don't leave it out for as long. So it's more, uh, it's more buttery, like you would say, or you can leave it for longer where it dries out, where it's like really hard, like jerky. Mm. So you can kind of play around with it depending on how you like it as well. Yeah. So would you guys essentially just, you, you take the animal, you shave it into thin pieces and then you just salt it? Yeah. So you, you can salt it. You can spice it with a few other things uh, if you want to, but salt is, is the best. The main thing. Okay. Um, and then you just hang it up in, in an area that's dry. You put like fans on it and then you can, you just leave it hanging uh, for as long as you want it to. Um, obviously, you, I think probably like three to four days is like the minimum. You don't want it to be too raw. 
Um, but as long as it starts to get dried, it, it can be a little bit uh, raw on the inside still, and it's pretty good. That's actually like a lot quicker than I thought. I would have assumed like weeks or no, something. No, 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 no. Couple it days. Take too okay. long at all, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And you actually you have a, a bull tongue like sponsor, right? Yeah. So it's actually it's an American guy, but he he uh, lived for a while uh, in in South Africa. So he he uh, I think he said he went to school and college in Cape Town, and he has a South African wife, and they've been living here oh, okay. for uh, for like the last five years. And uh, he also uh, thought that Biltong was, was better than jerky. So he, he started a company. So yeah, shout, shout out to Hard Bodies Biltong. Yeah, that's cool. And then you just buy that online or is that like yeah, in stores? So, so it's in stores. He's, he's uh, spreading it in stores all around Austin. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it. Uh, I think he's got a website as well. So uh, yeah, if you guys go to my Instagram profile, it's linked in the bio. You guys can go and get some of that. Yeah, awesome. I need to try that because like I, I miss it. It's, it's something I haven't found since I've been back. Yes. Yeah. But when we were there, we were eating it like every day. Yeah, I'll, I got I've got one at home. I'll bring one for you tomorrow. <laughs> okay, sweet. Sounds good. And then, uh, are you familiar with the show called Naked and Afraid? I have heard of it. I haven't I haven't watched it, but uh, I've definitely heard of it. So, so the concept of it is essentially they drop someone off somewhere in nature, and then they they are just naked. I think they get to choose one item to bring with them. And then this is like the one item that they are going to use to survive for like 30 days or something. Okay. So let, let's imagine a scenario. You're left in the African bush uh, somewhere like probably near your home and you have to survive for 30 days and you get to bring one item. What item are you bringing and why? Okay. That's, uh, is that good? That's a good question. Um, it really depends what area you're in. Like if you're close to where I grew up, like I wouldn't need the, and also depends on the season, like if yeah. it's cold or not. Let's uh, say it's spring. It's not too hot, not, not too, cold. too cold. Okay. In that case, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about a fire because the, the weather's pretty good. Um, I would say probably like some sort of a knife where you can use it to sharpen something if you had to you know yeah. hunt for something but i would say that's probably going to be your most useful useful tool that's probably what i would have said too. yeah cut down like uh cut down wood you can make some kind of structure yes. you can make traps or whatever. yeah 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 so yeah. I, I think that's probably what it would be yeah okay so um uh recently i think it was about maybe a week and a half ago you competed at adcc trials this was in uh warsaw poland yes right and uh, you won all of your matches via submission, and you didn't get a single point scored on you. Uh, I'm guessing that must have felt a combination of both rewarding, because that's like quite a, a great accomplishment, but then also a bit of a relief, because now you know you've punched your ticket, you're yes. 100% into ADCC Worlds in 2024. So, what was that experience like this time around? So it was uh, it was a great experience. Um, you know, obviously I have won the previous trials, um, but. Uh, you know, and I, I was a favorite going into the trials, but I wanted to kind of, uh, I like to always have something going into it to, to challenge myself to be a little bit better than the last time I competed. Um, and so last time I, I had 75% submission rate. So a goal I said was, uh, obviously I wanted to win, but I wanted to win with 100% submission rate. And so going into it, that was something I had in the back of my mind. And uh, the way that I wanted to do that was by having a, uh, a a direction that I knew I wanted to go from the beginning of each match. Um, and so that direction was fighting to my opponent's back, whether it be from top or bottom position, the end goal was always to, to end up on the back. And uh, I think I executed that uh, pretty well. I managed to get to my, I got behind all of my opponents. I finished four by rear naked strangle. One guy escaped to bottom mount and then I'm, I finished from top position. 
Um, but yeah, I was very happy to be able to accomplish that goal and, you know, punch a ticket. Like you said, it's pretty relieving to, uh, you know, especially with it being the first trials, like now everyone's getting ready for East Coast trials and you, you sit back and everyone is still stressing because they want to do yeah. well. But I don't have to worry about that anymore, you know, so it, it feels good. Yeah, the very first one, you're done, you yeah. get like chill and now focus on like the main goal. Exactly. So this was your, your third trials? So the fourth actually. Fourth, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so the first one I did was... Um, think 2018 um and were you blue belt back then i was a blue belt at the okay. time yeah and then how old were you because you're 22 now yeah so i would have been 17 just it would have been just before my 18th <laughs> okay. birthday nice um so yeah that was the first one and then um I, I did two trials before coming to the u.s and then after the second one that i lost i decided to to try and come here to train with john for for a little bit and uh initially i was just planning to come for for about a month and then I just ended up staying to train with him full time. So um, I started the process of uh, applying for the athlete visa. And then once that, uh, I, while that was going on, I started training with John and then won the first trials. Ah, okay. So, so essentially you, you had like your, your second trials and it, it didn't go, obviously you didn't win. Yes. It didn't go the way you wanted to, but you're like, you know, uh, this is something, a sport that I really like. I want to commit. So you're like, let me just fly out there, start training yes. and then just kind of see what happens. And yeah. So, so to be honest with you, I actually didn't even want to come. Um, like I was sitting in the hotel room with my dad after trials and, um, I'd had, I had a U.S. visa because I planned to train with John two years prior, um, before COVID happened. And then, uh, it never ended up happening. So I had a visa and I didn't really want to come. I was like, I just want to go home and keep training. And then my mom was on the phone. So I was sitting in the hotel with my dad and my mom was on the phone. And, uh, and she was like, do you want to actually do the sport professionally? I was like, yes. Yeah. And she was like, okay, well, then there's no discussion. Like you're going to, you're going That's to cool. the US. And so uh, she convinced me to do it. And I think she regrets it now because she misses me. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, once well, you're doing it professionally, yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, but, uh, exactly what she said, you know, if I wanted to do this, this was, this was the right move to make. And, uh, I'm so glad that, uh, they guided me into, into coming. Yeah, that's great. So you have like two very supportive parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did, are they the ones who got you into doing jiu-jitsu initially? Yeah. So, so my mom doesn't actually train, um, she, she started recently, but not very consistent. And, uh, your mom trained jiu-jitsu? She started about about six months ago. Okay, that's cool. Dude. Uh, yeah, but my, my dad's been doing it for a long time. He was a purple belt by the time w when I started. Um, and so he started teaching me when I was about five years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so your dad was actually your first instructor? Yes, yes. Okay, and then I'm assuming he's a black belt now? He is, he is. Oh, wow. Okay. How did your, your dad get into it? So um, my dad grew up uh, like getting into fights all the time. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, I think literally like the first day of preschool for him, which is kindergarten here, he got into a fight. Um, and, you know, throughout his school career, he was he was always fighting. And so I'm not sure what exactly he started trying different martial arts to, to you know, kind of help him out. And uh, karate was the first one. Oh, nice. Uh, and he got to, to brown belt and that. And then he moved to kickboxing for a while. <laughs> and then I believe he started jujitsu only once he got out of uh, out of school, so maybe like 25, 26, he found jujitsu. And then, uh, yeah, he had me at 27, and then another five years went by. So your dad is an, he's an OG in the martial arts world. He's, he's been doing it for a while, yeah. <laughs> and he started when he was 26 in jujitsu. So I'd imagine uh, at that time, just in the, the world in general, other than Brazil and maybe a little bit, like little pockets in America, there was not a, a lot of places that were doing Brazilian jujitsu. 
So I'm assuming he must have found like the one gym in like the Johannesburg area that had jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So um, honestly, I'm not sure exactly how many gyms there there were. Uh, I, I think there might have been two or three, um, you know, known known gyms, uh, and and he started one of them. So the instructor um, was a Rio grappling affiliate, and um, you know, so so he trained uh, he trained there up until he he got his black belt there. Actually, he went from white to black at uh, at that gym. Uh, and I started training there when I was maybe seven or eight. So I did two or three years with my with just training with my dad before I went to to that academy. And then, um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely not very popular back then. So when you started doing that, was it one of those things where like you saw your dad doing it? You probably were interested in fighting like most young boys and you wanted to try it? Or was your dad just kind of playing with you and just kind of started to show you jiu-jitsu a little bit here and there? Um, so so we actually, I was blessed enough to, we had a decent sized property and uh, my dad uh, had a home gym at, at, our, at our house. And so he, he put mats out there and it was something that he wanted us to learn from a young age just because of the experiences that he'd had growing up. Um, you know, he wanted us to be able to defend ourselves if, if we had to. So it was more of a something that you know he wanted us to learn uh, as a skill as opposed to us being interested in it. But I mean, we wrestled, you know, just the two of us. I mean, since I'm pretty sure since I could walk, you know, he was wrestling uh-huh. with me. Um, so I think yeah, it was definitely something special that we could you know bond with, uh, you know, throughout my childhood. Yeah, you know, I feel the same way. Like I always say, like if I have kids. I, I definitely want them to know how to do jiu-jitsu the same way I want them to know how to swim. Yes. Like, I don't want my kid to, to go swimming and drown or to be afraid to do stuff in the water because they can't swim the same way about, like, fighting. Like, I don't want my kid to feel like they're vulnerable and they don't know what to do if they're in some kind of confrontation that might inevitably happen. Uh, and I always say if, if I have a boy, I definitely want him to do martial arts. But if I have a girl, I'm going to require her yes, to do martial yes. arts. <laughs> I know you have a younger sister. Is that your only sibling? Yeah, so it's just uh, just Hannah and I, and uh, that's definitely uh, after what you just said. I mean, when we were kids, Hannah used to beat the daylights out of me. You know, when <laughs> girls we, are mean, dude. She, yeah, yeah, she was vicious. She still is. She still is. But yeah. I, thankfully, I have about a hundred pounds yeah. on her. You know, um, but yeah. Do you have any good stories about that? <laughs> me and Hannah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so What's the age difference, by the way? It's like two years. Two so years. Yeah, like um, she's two years younger than me, and then. Um, I don't, you've met Aiden. Aiden's my cousin. Yes, yeah, he's so, a big so, kid. Yeah, well. so the three of us grew up very close. So uh, Aiden's uh, dad is my, my uncle, my dad's brother. And uh, we, we grew up hanging out all the time. So Aiden's like a brother to me as well. And uh, so my, my dad was, uh, we were out at like a, a park walking walking our dogs uh, off. So in South Africa, you have to go to like certain places to walk your dogs off lead. Um, so we went to some place. We were all running around and uh, Hannah was walking uh, out in front of us and Aiden and I decided to bully her and we ran up <laughs> behind her and like shoulder checked her into the floor you know and <laughs> ran off laughing about it and uh Hannah got up and she didn't cry or anything and she just ran up behind us and just absolutely decked us both in the face <laughs> and uh we uh we ran back to my dad you know complaining oh Hannah hit us in the face and he was like you know what you deserved it I saw exactly what yeah. you guys did right before she had to hit you um, so yeah, she was definitely a feisty one. <laughs> yes. So this, this explains why she's so tough. She grew yes. up with like, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> two, two bigger brothers. Pretty of, much. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and did Aiden, did he start at the same time as you guys? He did. Um, he, so uh, my, my sister and I were homeschooled uh, and Aiden went to, to uh, public, public school throughout his school career. 
Um, so uh, during the time of, you know, when he started grade school through high school, he was only able to train a limited, uh, limited times per week, whereas Hannah and I were able to train, uh, you know, as much as we wanted. So um, he did, he, in terms of length of time, he has been training for the same amount of time as, as I have, but he, uh, the amount of time that he's been able to put in has, has not been the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then Hannah actually gave up completely for about 11 years to pursue dancing. So she was uh, very heavily into rhythmic gymnastics, ballet, and, and modern dancing. And she's only recently started. I think she's been doing it again for three years. That's impressive. So, yeah. Okay, so I guess I didn't realize you'd been doing it that consistently since you were about five. Yeah. Like, so, so let's say the ages five to 10 or 10 to 15. Were you training like five, six days a week, like so, very frequently? No, so, so I only started really training um, every single day when I was about 15. Um, okay. so my dad didn't, he actually, I don't think he ever had, had any intentions of me competing. Um, like I said, it was just a skill that he uh, thought would be necessary for us to have in life. Yeah. And so, um, for the first, you know, I would say 12 years that I was doing it or like 12, sorry, like from the ages of five to 12, uh, I was really only training three or four times a week. So nothing crazy. And then I just, when I decided that I wanted to start competing for myself, that's when I started to train uh, more consistently, like every single day. Yeah. To be honest, I think that's, that's probably like one of the best routes to take because you see kids who are doing it like five, six days a week since the age, like five or six yeah. and they're competing every weekend. And I, you know, they definitely get very, very good, but you also see a lot of kids get burned out. It yeah. seems like more often than not, unless a kid is very self-motivated, yes. they might get burned out. It seems like for you, your dad kind of was like, you need to have a skill here, but I'm not going to make it so it's not fun. Yes. And then when you get to like the age of, you know, 15, 16, and you're starting to like hit puberty and actually be able to compete well. Yes. Now it's like, okay, you want to, I didn't ruin the sport for you. Yes. And now your own self-motivation can yes, take over. Exactly. No, I, I definitely think that was, was uh, I mean, I didn't think about it at the time, but now looking back, uh, I'm very grateful that, you know, he, he helped me like there were definitely times where I wanted to quit where he was like, no, you have to push through this, but it was never, um, to the point where it's like, you have to do this to be the best. You know, it's just like, this is something that you started and you need to finish this. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think it's a lot of probably important life lessons there. Yeah. Um, so did you do any other sports growing up? I did. I did quite a few sports actually. So, um, both myself and Aiden, uh, started swimming very young. Uh, and that's something that actually that Aiden took very seriously for a long time. And uh, he, we are very close to, to making Olympic times, actually. Um, and then when I was maybe 12 or 13, I stopped swimming. Uh, and I, I played tennis, cricket, rugby, I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, having the opportunity to do all of those as well was 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 great growing up. Yeah, I think it probably helps you become like a more well-rounded athlete. Too. For sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so when you came to Austin for the first time, uh, you know, you booked your ticket, you came out here, you're originally just intending to probably train for, yes. I'm guessing, a month or About so. a month, yes. Uh, what, was that, what was that like? Because, you know, I guess you'd probably never been in the U.S. at this point. It was point. the first time, yeah. You're here in Austin, right? This yeah. is still probably when COVID was somewhat of a thing. Yes. Uh, so it was, was just, um, just starting to die down. And I remember like... I think Texas was the first place to, um, you know, get rid of the mask mandate. Yeah, so, they loosened up a yeah, bit. Yeah, so I arrived 
And like I walked out of the airport and no one was wearing a mask. And I was like, man, this is great. I was like, yeah, everywhere <laughs> else you have to wear a mask and no one was doing it here. So yeah, that was the first memory I have of, of walking out of the, the airport here in Austin. But yeah, it was, it was great. And then you started training. I'm assuming you just got an Airbnb. Yes. You started training at the Henzo Gracie downtown. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I walked in and uh, so actually uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling the truth. I, I landed in Dallas actually first and I competed at Nogi Worlds. Ah, two days okay. after I landed. And was this at Purple Belt? At Purple Belt, okay. yes. So, um, and it did terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> is this 2021? It, it is, uh, it would have been 20, I, I, I believe 2021. Okay. Yes. Um, so I competed, did terrible. And, uh, and then I was like, man, I just, what am I doing with my life? You know, like I'm, I'm just terrible at jujitsu. Uh, anyway, then I, then I, uh, I flew down to Austin and uh, I started training at Henzo Gracie's. I trained for about two days and then I got like a huge staph infection on my leg. And I was like, man, life just hates me right now. You know, I've come all this way. I've trained for two days with John and I have to sit on the side and watch. Um, but I sat, like I came to every single session that he taught and I just watched and took notes. And I don't know if, if he noticed that I was coming every day, but by the time my staff infection healed, he was like, he invited me to, to train at Roca. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was like uh, a dream come true to me at that point. Um, I've been watching these guys for so long and now to get the opportunity to, to train at Roca with everybody was just uh, mind boggling to me. How did you kind of get through that period and feel motivated? Because I can imagine, you know, you, you, you make such a big life change. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, you haven't had the competitive success you've had now. Yeah. So this is like a fresh version of yourself. You probably still have a bit of like, you know, is this, am I even meant to do this sport? Yes. You know, you, you have like a tough performance uh, after you've committed to coming here and then you start training a little bit and you're there with like your idol coach and then you get the staff infection. I'm assuming that's probably like mentally like a kind of a low spot. How did you kind of be like, you know what? Like, fuck it. I know I can do this. I need to like focus and just do what I can and, and stay the course. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely like mentally challenging. I, like, I remember calling my parents and they were like, they, my dad looked at like, um, he just Googled like different jujitsu gyms nearby. He was like, man, if you can't train there, just, just go and train somewhere else while, while you have it until, until it's done, you know? <laughs> and I was like, no, I, you know, I still, your dad sounds awesome. He is. He's the best. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, he was like, you know, we've paid all this money for you to get here and now you, you can't train. Um, so he was panicking just as much as I was. Um, but in my mind, it was still, I was learning from John in person, you know, like I'd watched his DVDs before, but I was so like, uh, kind of in awe of his teaching in person that I was like, you know, I'd rather actually just come here and sit and watch him teach than train somebody somewhere else. Um, and you know, his instructional DVDs are good but it still doesn't really compare to learning from him in person. You know, it's yeah. really, it's great if you don't have that access to him, but once you actually experience learning from him in person, it's uh, you, you really can't go anywhere else. And so I think that for me was like, you know what, if I have to wait a week and I can still learn from him in person, it, it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then you get the invite. Uh, he saw like how dedicated you were and also your, your size is probably a good yes, size for some yes. of the other guys there. Yeah, for sure. So then he invited you to come to Roca. What was it like your first day walking into the Roca gym? Cause you know, you get there, it's like yes. a big facility. There's a bunch of these 
ADCC champions there. There's all yes. these great athletes. Yeah. What was it like your first day? Um, so it was it was definitely awesome. But um, you know, I had met a few of the guys before. So at that time, um, it was still like they were still very new to Austin. So there was days where Gordon and everybody would come in and train at Hanzo's still. Mm, so I had okay. met them before. Um, and so at least it wasn't like going into this place where I, I didn't know anybody at all. So that I think that helped it a little bit. You know, I had spoken to Gordon before. I'd, I'd met Gary. Um, and a few of the other guys. Um, so going in, I mean, obviously this was it was the first time I would be getting to train with with guys like Gordon, uh, and that for me I was so excited. You know, I got, I'm pretty sure I can't remember if we trained the first day, um, but I remember the first time training with Gordon, and I just I couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way that someone can be like that good that he just knows everything that you're gonna do way before you do it. And I mean, still to this day, I feel the same way, but you know, I've improved so much since then and he still somehow manages to know exactly what I wanna do. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of wild too, cause it's like, he, you see him do so well competitively, and then when you see him in the gym, you're like, he is that good. He's, yeah. like, he's that good like every Everywhere. day. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so how long did it take you uh, before you kind of felt like you started to make noticeable progress, like both in your, your training, but then also in your, your competitive results? Yeah. So um, I started uh, noticing improvements in the training room uh, pretty quickly. Um, at the time, I was training like uh, as often as I could. So I, would, I was training almost sometimes four times a day. So I would train the morning session, but we didn't have, uh, it was just one session a day at Roka at the time. Uh, we do Henzo's in the morning. I would train at Roka in the, the midday and then I train again at Henzo's in the afternoon. And then sometimes I would do a weightlifting session as well. Um, so training just those three times every single day. And it was twice a day on the weekends as well at the time. Um, my, my skill level in the gym jumped significantly fairly quickly. Um, but I also felt like my body like it was started to crash like you know after a few months of doing that it was it was very a few difficult. months i was gonna say like a, a week of doing that four oh, times man. a day is yeah insane. I, I did that uh, up until i won the first trials i did that so it was almost it would have been close to close to six months that i that i did that and then after i won trial i was like okay i can't do this anymore i have to like turn it down a little bit so on the days where let's say it's seven days in a row you've been going two to four times a day and your body's beat up, you're tired. When you're tired, you're, sometimes your training is not as good. What motivated you to like get up and go back to training later that day? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, just thinking like, um, that one, my parents sacrificed a lot for me to be here. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that they probably could have done with the money that they're helping me here with, you know, to improve their own lives. And so I've been given this opportunity I have to absolutely make the most of it, right? Yeah. And so that was a big motivator for me. Like, okay, they've, you know, they've believed in me enough to, to help me with this. I need to give everything I can back, back to that. Uh, and so that was one of the big things. And then as well as, um, I really wanted to be the best. So I was like, I have this opportunity to be with John. I need to take advantage of it. And he's gonna, he's teaching all these classes. If he can be here every single day three times a day and teach these classes, I can be here to train these classes. So those were some of the things that helped me, uh, you know, just carry on through that time. Dude, it's, it's amazing to like to see his schedule because you wonder like, when does he sleep? Because literally seven days a week, he's there coaching. Yeah. And he's coaching, you know, he'll come in the morning, he'll coach us and then he'll go to Henzo's, he'll coach at Henzo's. 
he'll come back, he'll coach MMA with Satoshi and yes, Gary, yeah. then he'll coach us, and then he'll like he you know make an Instagram Enzo's. post, yeah. goes back to Enzo's. <laughs> like, crazy. Well, does this man have time to even study jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Like, it, his schedule and how efficient he is and how he can do that day after day after day yes. is incredible. No, I, it's, really, it's really absurd because... You know, even if I'm overseas and, and there's a time difference, so I wake up and I text him. It's like midnight in Austin. He texts me back in 30 seconds. Do you think he sleeps? I, I don't know how, how much he <laughs> sleeps, but he's always, I think he's, like you said, I mean, he's either teaching or he's studying, like, or he's driving between sessions, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really incredible, like, how much uh, he's able to, to do in, in a day. Um, so, so I think how focused he is. And how disciplined and the fact that he's been focused, like, it's not like he's maintaining the focus for like a year. Yeah. He's maintaining this focus for like 20 years, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Oh, and I think that, you know, it also, you know, a lot of people uh, talk about how strict he is and, you know, like how he wants um, his athletes to be. And I think that, yes, that to a degree it is like that, but, you know he also sets the example of it. You know, it's not like he's asking us to do something that he's not doing himself. Yeah. You know, he's fully invested into making us better. And, you know, that's all he does. So I think it's completely fair to of him to, to ask the same dedication uh, of us, you know? So Yeah, and he doesn't seem to ask for anything from anyone either. Like, he does no. it solely just to help people. Like, Absolutely. And yeah. the, the times that I've seen him look the happiest is when someone on the team does well. Yeah. So it's yeah. like he puts in all this work and the only thing he wants is people's success. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's an absolute blessing to, to have him as a, as a coach and a mentor. It's, it's very, very rare to have all those encapsulated like in one person. Yes. Um, so you have uh, Nogi Pan Ams coming up uh, later this week. Yes. We're recording this on a Wednesday. And then uh, Friday is when you compete. Friday is when I compete. This yeah. podcast will probably be released on Friday. So probably about the time the first people are listening to this, you will be running through your division. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> uh, are there are there any matches at this Nogi Pan Ams that you're looking forward to, either in your weight class or in the absolute division? Um, to be honest with you, I haven't even looked at the, the starting list. Um, I, I probably should, but I just haven't I haven't had the time to, to go on, on there look yet. <laughs> Um, but it's been a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see. I, I don't really know any big names that are still at brown belt um, that are in my weight division. So we'll see. But you never know, right? There's always some new somebody who, yeah, who shows yeah. up and they're like, okay, this guy, he, knew, he knows what he's doing. So um, hopefully we get some good matches out there. And, uh, you know, the absolute's always fun as well. Um, so yeah, I'm looking to, to try and go out and, and again with the 100% submissions. Last year, I wasn't able to do it, so we'll, we'll try and fix it up this year. Yeah, it's, it's been a good year so far, though. You had, uh, was it the Arizona Open? Uh, Dallas Open. The Dallas Open, yes. yeah, where you won uh, all the all the matches in your weight and the absolute so, via yes. submission. Yes. And in the you took out a, a lot of very good athletes. In the finals, you won against uh, El Monstro. Yes. Who, you know, is a big name, uh, ADCC vet, and you took him out in like a minute or something by, as you yeah. said, uh, taking the back, the back and then strangling. Yeah. But looking forward to the rest of the year, are there any other kind of big events or matches or anything that you're looking forward to? Um, so, so the rest of the year, my main focus is going to be on the, the IBJJF majors. So I'm going to try and do, I think Brasileiros was already this past weekend. So unfortunately, I, I, I missed that one. Um, but I wanted to try and hit like somewhat of a grand slam. So I'm going to try and do the, uh, Nogi Pants, Nogi Euros and Worlds. So I'll try and get uh, to do double gold at all of those. And then there's a who's number one, I believe, at the end of November. I'd like to try and get on that. 
I know Yuri Samoyes was looking for a match before uh, Gordon to kind of warm up. Uh, we had one at, at ACC. So uh, if you can't find anybody, I'm available. I'd love to run it back. Um, I would love <laughs> to see that match because your guys' match was like, a, it was, it was stand-up heavy. Yes. And it was very, very close. Was it just referee's decision? It was referee's decision. Yeah, yeah. So whenever you get a match like that, you're like, ugh. Yes. You know, it could have literally gone either, either way. way. Uh, but since then, if you look at what your competition was like leading up to that and then how you've developed since then, yes, I think it's going to be a very, very different It'll match than the first match, time around. Yes, for sure. Uh, that, that, I think that match is very exciting. And he's a two-time ADCC champion. champion. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and with who's number one rules as well, it's kind of brings a little bit of a different dynamic where uh, you can kind of be a little bit more expressive with your jiu-jitsu and not worry too much about the te- like the tactical side of you know, the, the points. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that would kind of bring out a different aspect of the match. So, yeah, it would definitely be uh, an exciting one for the fans, I think. Yeah, that'd be a great one. <laughs> and then looking at uh, other potential competitors, too, I was I was thinking, I was like, who would be, like, who would I, as a fan, like to see you go against? And a couple names that, that I had uh, that I, I would like to see, guys, this, is, this would be my dream list. Uh, I'd like to see a rematch with you and Nikki Rod. Yes. I think that would be a very, very good match. Uh, you're, you're big and you're super, super technical. And that's a match that I think would be very exciting to see as well. Yes. I, I definitely like to run it back with Nicky Rod. Obviously, you know, he's been doing well, um, you know, besides Gordon, I mean, you know, it's hard to argue that, you know, he hasn't been, uh, been in a while. Um, but I definitely think that, you know, I've leveled up a lot since we had our match. Um, and so I think it would be a, an exciting match that people would like to see as well. So I'd like, I'd like to run that back as well. And then uh, I guess two other matches that I was also thinking about is it'd be good to see you versus Victor Hugo. Part of it is like whenever there's another big, big tall, strong guy, yeah. I'm like, that'd be really exciting to yes. see you versus that person. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm down to fight anyone, you know, like I, I, uh, I, I know a lot of people are kind of nervous to jump in and just fight anybody. So I understand like, I'm not at a bit like such a big name yet. So for Victor, it might not be like worth the, the risk, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm always down to fight anybody. Um, he's, uh, for me, it, it, it'd be a win-win situation because, you know, I believe I'd beat him and, you know, he's, he's a really big name. Um, so I think that'd be a great match for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you never know what can happen. He's, he's strong, he's technical. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like that one too. <laughs> yeah, that'd be an exciting one. Uh, and then I'm gonna throw out, uh, two more names just because I, I also, when I was thinking about it for different reasons, I think these matches could be good. Uh, I think you versus Cyborg could be a fun match too. It could. Because it it's kind of like, you know, the, the OG generation of, of a, you know, a very accomplished athlete who's still competing versus, you know, the new, literally new wave yes. of like <laughs> jiu-jitsu athletes. I think that could be another very exciting match. And then you versus uh, Devontae Johnson as well. Yes. That would be a fun yes. match. Yeah, I've, I've watched uh, Devontae uh, a couple times. You know, he's good. He's super explosive, very athletic. Um, but I haven't had the chance to run up against him yet. So that's that's also definitely a match I'm interested in. Um, very talented guy and uh, puts on exciting matches. So, yeah, it would be a great match. Yeah. Um, so uh, just to kind of take it back now a little bit to uh, your, your time, uh, in Austin, kind of in the beginning, uh, what are some of the things you think that led to you uh, increasing your skills the quickest? Do you think it was just the fact that you were being consistent every single day, coming a lot? Was it taking the notes? Uh, was it just competing more and getting comfortable competing? Like, what, what do you think are some of the the main things that led to you kind of 
going from someone who is very talented with a lot of potential, but maybe feeling like you weren't living up to your potential to finally starting to have like some big breakthroughs and achieve like that high level of success. Yeah. So, so one thing that I, uh, that I learned just uh, in the early days being here is something that John Gordon talked about when you're drilling, it's not drilling for, uh, for repetitions or for amount of time, it's drilling for improvement. So the whole time while you're drilling, if you have to do it a little bit slower, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything, uh, as well as I can to make sure that I'm improving the movement and perfecting it. Um, it's never going to be perfect in competition. I mean, you might get something close to perfection, but um, if, if I can make sure that every time I'm drilling a move, I'm, look, I'm improving that, uh, I think that's what uh, uh, is going to help my overall skill development the most. Um, so I think that's one of the big things that helped, as well as um, confidence. You know, the, the more you start to improve your skills, the better you start to do in the training room and on the competition mats, the, the better your confidence gets. And I, that also, in turn, helps you continue to develop skill uh, quicker because you're like I am getting better so that like now you're okay you, you're thinking you're getting better and you are getting better at the same time and that just keeps building you can kind of trust yourself a bit more exactly so. exactly so I think those two things uh help me the most yeah that makes a lot of sense that first one you said is very interesting uh I was reading this book called the talent code and it was uh talking about what makes certain people become elite performers and uh one thing that they found is that uh, let's say someone was going to play an instrument, like you're going to play the flute or something. If you're just kind of playing and you go through the song, let's say you mess up, you just kind of ignore it and you keep playing, uh, you're, you're not going to really increase your skills as quickly because you're just kind of, uh, you're ignoring the mistakes you're making. You're not really refining your, your, your skill. Uh, and then when you get certain musicians, and typically these are musicians who have played for a long time, they're, they're very, very skillful, they'll play. And if they get to a point where, let's say, they're, they're making a mistake, they'll stop, they'll pause, they'll think it through, they'll visualize, and then they'll repeat that part that they're messing up until they get it right. Yes. And I think what's happening in the brain is uh, in order for you to learn, you have to myelinate certain connections between neurons. And if you just are ignoring the mistakes you're making, I think you're not you're you're not myelinating the correct pathway and when you pause and you you focus on that part that you're messing up and you get that exactly correct now your brain is like myelinating that correct pathway to do that skill the right way yes okay i think that's exactly what you're doing but in jiu-jitsu yes well yeah that makes a lot of sense (laughs) yeah yeah. um so i guess another question that some people have is you know some people they train a couple times a week and then they find they uh they get injuries or things come up and they find it difficult to stay consistent uh, you're training, you know, two times a day, sometimes three times a day. Uh, what are some things that you do in order to uh, recover and stay healthy? Um, I think a big a big thing is um, obviously training partners is like one of the most important things, right? You have to be able to trust your training partner. Um, you know, uh, sometimes injury is uh, is something that's unavoidable. You know, if something happens, it's an accident and you get injured. Um, but I think that, you know, being able to trust your training partner and that goes both ways. If you, if you can show your training partner that they can trust you, then, you know, they might be more, uh, careful when they're training with you and you can kind of build this relationship of trust when you're training, you know, you can go hard, but you're going to look after each other. So I think that's, that's one thing that's important as well as, you know, if you're doing this, um, like for me as a professional, a lot of times, like when I'm not training, I'm sleeping. Like I really don't do much outside of jujitsu. 
Um, and it's really sounds boring to a lot of people, but I think that helps me be able to, you know, continue to, to train at a high level. It was because the amount of output that, that we're doing every single day, if I had continued to go out and do other stuff throughout the day, I, I don't think I'd be able to train, uh, as, as hard as, as I do now. So I think getting sufficient amount of sleep and eating the, the correct foods definitely help, uh, with recovery and being able to train better. Yeah, consistently. I've heard Khabib talk about that where he's like, like I go to train in the morning, I come home, I eat, I sleep, yeah. and then I come back to training. Yes, that's exactly what I do. Every day I, <laughs> I take like an hour nap between sessions and then, uh, and then I'm ready to go. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Oliver Taza today too and he said the same thing. I was like, what do you do for recovery? He said, uh, yeah, it takes like a nap every day. Yeah. And it's like one of the best ways I think to like kind of like reset and recharge and like refocus. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, you treat the sport like you're a professional in the exactly, sport. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you do anything uh, for recovery? Like, do you do like sauna ever, or ice baths, or stretching, anything like that? Um, so honestly, I'm terrible with stretching. I really should, but I'm just so lazy when it comes to stretching <laughs> that I don't do it. Um, but uh, I do sauna sometimes. Like, where I normally tr where I try and get into a habit where I try and do like 30 minutes of sauna every night uh, after training. Um, but I go through stages where sometimes I'm like, uh, not as strict with it, but I definitely try and do that. Also, I feel like it helps me sleep, uh, better if I do it right before bed. Yeah. Um, but other than that, not, nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. They say that's supposed to be the best thing to do like at night before you go to sleep. And then something with ice is supposed to be the best thing to do in the, in morning. the morning. Uh, I'm the same way where like, I'll go through periods where like I'll do yoga or stretch more, Yes, but it'll last about a month and it's hard yeah. to actually do that consistently, consistently. throughout yeah. the year. Yeah. Yeah. I will say Taz is good with that. I mean, he's he, like, whenever I look at him, he's stretching. If he's not like training before training, he's stretching after training, he's stretching. If I look at his Instagram story, he's sunning and stretching, you know, <laughs> um, so he's definitely good with that. Dude he, dude, he has such an impressive schedule, man, because he's also, he's like, I think 30 or something. Yeah. So he's not like, you know, super, super young, uh, but he's still like, he's getting better. Like right now he's probably better than he's ever been. been? Yeah. And he competes like every weekend. All the time. Like yeah. his, his like competition schedule is insane. Yeah. No, every, every weekend he's flying somewhere different to, to compete. It's, uh, it's impressive. For it, sure. It's yeah. Super, super motivating to be, to be around that. Yeah. Um, so what about strength and conditioning? You said like, you know, sometimes after training, you'd go and get a lift. What do you do for your strength and training, strength um, and conditioning? Yeah, so so on. I don't I don't do that much cardio outside of jujitsu. Uh, I feel like you know with the rounds that I'm getting in, the that cardio is sufficient, uh, and it's also sport specific. Like you know, even if I ha I I had before I came here, I was doing stuff like uh, riding bike or running, and it it helps a little bit. But at the same time, you you still get tired if you're not if you're not doing enough rounds like you're not training uh, jujitsu, it's, it, it's not worth it, you know? Um, so most of the time when I do strength and conditioning now, it's just like bodybuilding type lifting. Um, it's something that I enjoy doing as well. It's just something that's slightly different from jujitsu. I don't really have to think about jujitsu for a little bit. I can just enjoy doing another form of exercise. So I enjoy that. Um, and recently I've actually started doing that in the mornings before training. So like 5.30, just so that um, when my last jujitsu uh, session is done for the day i can uh relax. I can relax and be done you know yeah so 
And so you said you do bodybuilding type stuff. Are you doing more like lighter weights, high reps? Higher reps, reps yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever do anything heavy or not really? Uh, sometimes, not not really. Uh, I also don't want to put on too much weight right now. Like I feel like I'm at a really good weight for minus 99 where I'm big, but I can make the weight easier. But if I, I feel like if I put on uh, like an, any more muscle, it's going to be hard to uh, to make that weight. So yeah, like you're trying right, to stay right your now, exact size. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I feel like now just to kind of try and develop better, like the tone of the muscle and you know the shapes a little bit better, uh, and stay strong. But um, yeah, I'm not not trying to put on too much weight right now. Do you uh, do you follow any kind of uh, periodization or, or schedule? So for instance, this week you have uh, Nogi Pan Ams. Are you kind of tapering it off, or how do you um, so set that I, up? I haven't I haven't lifted this week at all. Um, uh, it's actually been maybe, maybe two weeks. So since I left for trials, I haven't done uh, any lifting, um, and I normally don't lift the last week before uh, before I have like a big competition, um, just so my body can kind of recover. Um, and then in terms of like jujitsu, I don't normally uh, taper off uh, like at all. Um, unless I'm traveling somewhere where I don't have my regular training partners. So like for instance, when I went to, to Poland now, it was, uh, I didn't really have as many training partners myself, Taza, um, Jordan and my cousin Aiden was there. So we trained together, but it wasn't as like structured and intense as the sessions that we have here. Um, just because you don't have the variety of training partners. Also myself and Taza are two different sizes. Like, so for us to train, extremely hard together is not you know it's not like super yeah. optimal um so we do we do hard rounds but you know more kind of a flowing uh flow rounds uh kind of thing you know yeah but so like so let's say this case like uh you know uh nogi pans is in dallas that's three hours away it's yeah. not that far you'll consider you'll continue to train kind of hard up until up like until, yeah the day so, before? so i fly out tomorrow so uh, depending on what time my flight is, I'll train again this afternoon like normal. And then if I have time to train tomorrow's morning session, I will. And then, uh, and then I'll, and I'll fly up to Dallas. So, um, is, is that something where, uh, it just makes you feel good to know that you're training hard leading up to it, or you kind of feel like, you know, you train so often that if you just have the day before where you're resting the yes. next day, you feel great. Uh, um, what's your kind of thought process behind that? Well, I honestly, sometimes if I take a day off, just one day, I feel worse when I come back. Yeah. Um, and so um, I feel like the, the rounds uh, that I do in the training room are harder than the ones that I'll do in competition. So if I my last session is uh, harder than what my competition is going to be, when I compete, it's going to feel like a light session. Yeah. So it's kind of like the, for a mental yes. reason, sort of. Uh, yeah. Yes. I would say both like mental and physical. My body feels good still when I'm comp- like when I train consistently, my body yeah. feels good because I'm used to that kind of training. Yes. And then also mentally, it's e- it feels easier to compete than it does to train. So uh, another question too, just talking about like the, the mental side of things. Uh, did you make any kind of mental changes from, you know, let's say your first two trials where you had, um, you know, you're maybe struggling to like the last two where you've you've won the trials and then you've not just won, you've submitted everybody and not got a single point scored on you. Uh, did you make any mental shifts or did it all just kind of come naturally from your, your training? Um, I think I think a little bit of both. Um, leading up to the first trials, I'd, I'd uh, had the opportunity to train with uh, some like uh, world champions that have you know have done really well in the past, and that some of them are still competing and doing very well. 
um, and I had had good success against them in the training room. And uh, I was speaking to Gordon about that, and he he he'd kind of said to me that you know, look at the way that you've trained with this person here. There should be no difference from your performance in the gym to on the competition mats. And uh, I feel like I've started to get a little bit better with translating that. I'm still not a hundred percent of the way there, um, but I think just that knowledge that you know likelihood of somebody being better than me outside of that room is very unlikely so um when i go out i need to compete uh on the on the competition mats just how i would if i was training uh, at roca and i think that made a huge difference knowing that okay uh i can train with gordon and i can train with nicholas i can train with Giancarlo, i can train with you and do well right and you guys are the best in the world so if I go outside of this room where it's somebody who's not training with us, who's not the best in the world, there should be no reason for him to be doing anything to me that I can't, uh, can't combat. Yeah. And there also is like that kind of fine line where it's like, you don't want to underestimate someone. You want to like respect them and their capability, but also you need to be confident in your own abilities. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you see that even just like with Gordon, like, which is that, I think that's something that's really impressive. Like you look at what he did the last ADCC, and like, you know, he's going against all these guys who are bigger than him. Yes. He's in the plus 99 division yeah. and he looked like so relaxed that yeah. he like subs him in 10 seconds. And you're like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's just another like example, right? I mean, Gord, uh, like Gordon and Andre, I mean, Andre was like in many people's eyes still is one of the, the greatest Nogi and Gi competitors of all time. And I mean, Gordon really, he, I don't think Andre hit a single move on him besides that initial takedown that Gordon gave to him. Yeah. You know, um, and that's the level that we get to train with every single day. Yeah. I think Andre, like by, by the stats, he's probably, uh, him or Hoja Gracie are probably the, the second best ADCC competitor of all time. Yeah. yeah. It's probably like one of them two, uh, by, by the numbers. And then Gordon, of course, number one. Yes. But Yeah. Uh, so to do that to a guy who's arguably number two best ever yes. in that is like yeah it's, it's, it's pretty mind impressive. blowing yeah. yeah it's crazy uh, yeah and then it's, it's not just like a normal Andre too it's like an Andre who looks like a like a Jack Ninja yes. Turtle yes. like <laughs> no neck absolutely yeah when he's going for the rear naked I was like he doesn't even have a neck to, to choke it, um, yeah you have to like choke through his back oh <laughs> uh, no I mean and, and actually like now that you say that I mean I think that's the the only thing that Gordon that took him a while was trying to get underneath Andre's chin. You know, that took him a little bit longer than expected. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when the traps come up to, like, the top of your head, it yeah. makes sense. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I need to I need to find whatever that program is, because, like, I got like, a long neck. I need to um, yeah. build those traps up, dude. Barbell, stand-up barbell <laughs> rows, you know? For sure, every day. It's my, my, my new thing. Um, yeah, so um, a couple other things. Um, I guess I just want to ask you a little bit more about your, your time growing up in South Africa. Just because I'm curious yeah. and I was able to, to visit that country and it was one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. It was yeah. it was amazing. We we started, uh, me and my girlfriend, we flew into Johannesburg. I think I've told you a bit about this, yes. but for the people listening, uh, we rented a car and then we essentially drove around the whole country uh, going to Zululand, Durban, and then along the whole, uh, I think they call it the Wild Coast. Yes. Uh, and then Garden Coast. Is yes. Uh, Garden Route. Garden Route, yes. yes. Uh, all the way to um, to Cape Town. And it's like the, the, the diversity in your country is amazing. Like yeah. just if you talk about just like the people and the cultural diversity, I think you guys have like, is it 11 or 12 official I think, languages? I think it's tw- uh, 11. I think it's 11. 11, yeah. 11 official languages, right? There's like 
English, Afrikaans, and then yeah. like nine or so native yes. languages. Yes, I believe so. Uh, do, you, do you speak multiple languages or did you have um, to know a little bit I, growing I, up? I speak Afrikaans and English, but I don't speak any of the tribal languages. Um, my dad's actually learning Zulu right now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, a lot of his uh, of his employees are, uh, speak the tribal languages. And so uh, it makes uh, it easier for him to be able to speak a little bit of their languages. Yeah. So he's trying to learn, but uh, I, never, I never learned any of that growing up. Yeah, and some of them also, like, it's my understanding, they're kind of closely related. Like, yes. I was talking to a guy who was from Lesotho, and he was saying that, like, the way you say something in, like, Zulu versus his language is, like, it's almost just, like, a pronunciation difference. difference yes. Yeah, so there's there's some of them, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that you can kind of, they can communicate with each other, and then there's some that are, like, completely different where you have to know. Yeah, like, like the, the clicking language. languages. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. also... Um, but yeah, that's definitely, so for me, I, I, I'm not going to try and uh, learn any of those, you know? So are you fluent in Afrikaans as well? Um, I'm, I, I've gotten a bit rusty, but yeah. I, I can, I can understand pretty much everything. I can speak most of it. Um, you know, I, whenever I speak to my grandma, she's, she's Afrikaans. So I speak to her. Oh, Afrikaans. Okay. Um, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely a lot rustier now than I was before I left. <laughs> yeah. And Afrikaans, even that language, it's like a amalgamation, right? Of like, I think Dutch, English, and, uh, some of the tribal languages. Uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't have any tribal in it, okay. but, uh, it's, it's like a bunch of European uh, languages, but okay. like most, mostly like Dutch, uh, Dutch descent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, your last name is like Griffith. It's That's Welsh. like a, it's yeah. a Welsh name. It's Welsh. Yeah. Okay. So my dad's side of the family is from Wales. Okay. Uh, many generations back, I think they've, they've, they've been in South Africans uh, since like 18 something, late 1800s. Okay, so like since the British times. Sort yes, of. yes, exactly. Okay. Um, but yeah, originally from Wales. And then what about your, your mom's side of the family? Uh, is from the Netherlands, I believe. So Ro okay. uh, her maiden name is uh, Rothman. So Rothman would have been from, you know, kind of yeah. uh, Holland uh, area. Are both your parents also like very tall? Uh, my dad's six one. Okay. Uh, and my mom, maybe five nine ish, if I had to oh, guess. Okay. Yeah. And then your your sister, she's quite tall as she well. She is. Right? She is. I think she's uh she's a maybe also five nine, five ten, somewhere okay. there. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, shout out to Hannah. Uh, she's also an amazing up and coming uh, uh, talent. She won uh, the Dallas Open. She did. Right? She won Dallas Open. Yeah, as which well. is that yeah. must have been a really cool moment to have you and your sister both win it definitely the ADCC was. Open. Yeah, it was. It was great. Um, she's she's really doing well. Uh, she's back in South Africa now for the I think probably the next six months or so. Um, but yeah, she's she's training for the next ADCC trial. So hopefully that goes well for her. If we can both get the ADCC, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, I fully expect that. She's a, she's a bee. She's very, very talented as she well. Is, yeah, so. she is. Would you guys be the first uh, brother-sister to compete in ADCC? If that um, happens? I'm not too sure. I should actually do the research on that. I, I, not, I don't think there's been any other... Uh, I know there's been siblings, obviously the Rod brothers, and then obviously Gordon and Nikki. Um, but I'm not sure about a, a brother and a sister. I'd have to find that out. Are you the, the first uh, the first person from South Africa to compete no, at ADCC? No, 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 I'm not actually. So okay. I believe there's two in the past. Uh, and uh, actually, I think they both won before. Um, oh, okay. There's a guy named Mark Robinson. I'm not sure what year he won. I think it might have been like 2005 or something like that. A really long time ago. And then a, a, a woman named Penny Thomas. Ah, um, okay. She she lives in Hawaii now, uh, and she still competes uh, in a lot of the IBJJF Masters events. She still does really well, uh, but I believe they were the first two to uh, to make it there. Growing up, were they kind of like people who you guys are very familiar with in your country? Absolutely, had no idea who they were until <laughs> I came here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I guess another question too. So right now you're very focused on grappling. Uh, do you think, could you see yourself? And is there some version of you that one day might transition to doing MMA? Um, you know, it's not, I was actually chatting to Rodolfo uh, Vieira. He was in the room yesterday and he asked me the same thing. Um, you know, when I was at like just starting to compete in jiu-jitsu, there was a little bit of interest and, in, you know, maybe jumping to MMA. Um, but at this point, uh, where, where jiu-jitsu is getting to a point where it's growing and you're able to, you know, maybe be able to make a living off of just jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, I don't see myself going into that, uh, at this point. You, know, you never know what happens in the future. I will, I won't say never, but, but for now I, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, it did kind of seem like at one point, uh, you know, if you were like a wrestler or like a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you kind of were capped at how much money you can make and yes. how much exposure you could get. But in the past five years, you look at the sport and now they're selling out arenas. Yeah. People are making good money from instructionals and seminars. And really, like there's been a pathway open for great athletes in grappling yes. to make a, a living grappling. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I mean, if, if that ends up happening for me, I hope, I hope it does, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. then I, I don't think that it'll be necessary. Um, and even if it doesn't, you know, I think that I will be able to get to a point where I will at least be able to make a living off of, you know, opening an academy and teaching, you know? Yeah. Um, so if it really comes down to it and I had to do it, you know, maybe <laughs> I would, but, but I don't, I don't see it happening. Is it, so you said your dad also started doing karate. Did he make you learn karate and striking no, as well? No, he, so he, oh, I did a lot of kickboxing growing up, um, but I didn't do any karate. He stopped, uh, at maybe before he was 20, I, I think with karate. Okay. Um, so I don't think, yeah. But you did kickboxing. So he you did, did kickboxing. Striking. Yeah. So I did a lot of striking, okay. uh, through my early years. But uh, so you're like you're like halfway time. there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, if I had to strike now, I don't think you'd be able to, to see that I did anything growing up. To be honest with you, I well, can't well, remember well, anything. Give you a couple months to yeah. like it's like riding a bike. You have to get back it, on back and start you, moving yeah. around. Uh, yeah, another reason why I was asking is uh, South Africa is also there. They have a lot of MMA fighters coming yes. out of South Africa now. Of course, like there's Duplessis. Yes, Strickus, Yes. Yeah, who's doing a very good job. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully, he'll fight uh, for the belt soon. Yes. Yeah. So I believe he was. Uh, I mean, he had a was supposed to fight Adesanya after Adesanya beat Strickland, but that never happened. So uh, yeah, I guess it'll be uh, Strickland and Drickus next. That's going to uh, be what a we're good hoping fight. for. Yeah, I definitely think uh, you know Drickus can can win that fight. Uh, and then he's got a teammate, Cameron Simon, who's also doing very well. He's undefeated. I think he's 10-0 at the moment, also in the UFC. Um, so, yeah. Was also, he on that same card with him? He was. He's, okay. yeah, he, they, he's like a smaller guy, right? One. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's very, very good. He's good. Very good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, another very, very good up-and-coming guy from South Africa. So, yeah, we've got a couple guys that are, are breaking onto the scene. What's the, the MMA scene like there? Um, it's, it's, it's a lot bigger than jiu-jitsu. Um, we have, there's a local promotion called uh, EFC which is, uh, I think it stands for Extreme Fighting Championships. Or whatever. <laughs> I love We're it. It's like a ripoff, you know? Um, and so everybody starts there. Um, you know, uh, Drickus was a champion there for a while, and I believe Cameron as well. And then for a long time, uh, Drickus was in KSW, which is, I think, like a Polish promotion before he went to the UFC. Um, but that EFC is, is kind of like the starting ground for all the MMA fighters, and then they get picked from other promotions uh, yeah. from there. So... Um, have you had a chance to train with any of the kind of uh, up and coming MMA fighters from South Africa? I haven't. I haven't. So, um, Drick has really only, um, got into the UFC once I was already here. 
Um, so he's done a really great job of like getting to the top in like a very short amount of time. I think he's only been in for two years, you know. Yeah. Um, but I actually competed against his younger brother uh, as a teenager. I think I was 17. We had a uh, jiu-jitsu tournament and I competed against his brother. Oh, that's cool. Is his brother um, MMA fighter as well? Or he grappler? is. Uh, he is an MMA fighter as well. But uh, he is, I don't think he's like as serious about it. I think he has like a, like a normal nine to five job and he just does it for uh, for fun. Yeah, so I've heard Drickus is... Uh, People say he looks like a heavyweight. He's supposed to be very, He's very big. large. He's big. Uh, younger brother also, big dude. He's a big guy. Yeah, okay. I, I think uh, I think his brother is actually a bit bigger than him. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's just because he's a little bit uh, less uh, in shape than Drickus okay, is, yeah. you know? But he's got a couple uh, more LBs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, also a very big, big guy. Yeah. Yeah, it would be, I think it'd be cool to see uh, you guys like work together at some point in the future. Because I know Drickus is a, a great grappler. He is. But he's I, good. I always like when I see the kind of the crossover, like two countrymen yes, yes. who are in, you know both different combat sports working together. No, absolutely. So it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a local promotion, like a jiu-jitsu promotion uh, called Submission Kings. And they had a, like a quintet format. And Drickus went in there and subbed everybody. Oh, really? He went in the first round and he took out a whole team. Oh, I need to watch that. Like all uh, all guillotines, he just lashed onto the head, squeezed, and like submitted everybody. Yeah, Um, I think he's he's a dude where like I think he's like sneaky strong. Yeah, for sure. Because it seems like he's not super crazy fast. Yeah, but he grabs a hold of people and just like ragdolls them. Yeah, but it's that like farm strength, you know, for sure, like Buddha strength. Well, you grow up on the farm lifting hay bales and stuff like that. I'm I'm pretty sure he he's a he's a farm boy. He yeah, has a different kind of strength. <laughs> so you said you guys you grew up on like kind of a, a large property. Were you was it more like a rural area? No. So so we actually uh, my dad when he bought uh, the property that our house is on, it was a very empty area um, and not very popular. But very soon after he bought. Um, bought there it became like very densely populated and uh quite a popular area so we actually live in a very nice um kind of a i would say middle to upper class neighborhood that's like a fenced off um like a gated community sort of thing yeah um so we were blessed enough to actually live in a pretty safe area growing up where we could walk around by ourselves as kids like if you go outside of the gated community you can't do that at all um but inside where we lived we were we were blessed enough to to be able to do that yeah that's really nice because i remember that was some of the the main advice i got uh before going to south africa was like once it starts to get dark, don't, don't go outside. Yeah. yeah, don't walk around outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a good idea. And it'd be crazy because sometimes you'd be like in a nice neighborhood. Like I remember we were in uh, Jeffrey's Bay. Yes. And it was like a bunch of nice beach houses. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it gets dark, it's like no, there's no cars on the street. No yeah. one on the street. It's just quiet. It's quiet. And you're like, yeah. it's, it feels like the purge or something. Yeah, I mean, so so we actually used to go on vacation very about 30 minutes away from Jeffrey's Bay every year. My, my uh, mom's grandma had a, had a house at the beach. Nice. And uh, I remember one year, I must have been about 10 years old. Um, I was, we were in bed. It was like, it must have been close to 10 p.m. And I went to my dad's room and I was like, dad, I'm pretty sure I heard somebody talking outside my window. And he's like, no, like, don't worry about it. He looked outside. There was no one. He's like, don't worry about it. Just, just go to bed. And actually, it ended up happening that night. They broke into our house and stole the house keys. Luckily, they didn't, uh, they didn't get anything else. My dad woke up and, you know, they saw him and they ran away. But wow. it's like, man, you actually, like, you can't take any chance. Like, if you hear something, yeah. like, call someone to check it out. Like, the, the, the chances are that there's probably somebody there. <laughs> Yeah, it's so wild because it seems like during the day, I mean, it, like, of course, you have to watch out like any any place you go, like, yeah. you know, keep your wits about you. But during the day, it seems relatively safe. Yeah. But then at nighttime, it's like there's like a 
unspoken agreement amongst everybody to stay inside unless you're up to like no good yeah. essentially yeah I'm, it's really it's really it's unfortunate you know i mean we've had a lot of uh like instances just in our family i mean aiden uh his family was was held hot like hostage for hours really yeah with so um they were having dinner his him his mom and his dad and i think five guys, five or six guys broke into their house tied them up beat them for about oh my god three or four hours and stole everything in their house stole their car and then just left them um so i mean they're very lucky to like still be alive after that you know i mean most of the time if people break in and they tie you up they're gonna kill you yeah um so very very scary stuff goes down at night <laughs> yeah also this this highlights the reason why your dad taught you guys jiu-jitsu yes well, I mean, even at that point, I mean, when it's six to th- like six oh, people for sure. to three people, yeah. you're not even like you're having dinner. You're not expecting for anything. Sure. It's like, you know, the, the, the bad thing about it is like, it's not even like you're agreeing to a mutual fight. You know, it's yeah. just like it's a time that suits them. You're they know when guard. it's going to happen and you have no idea what's, what's coming, you know? Yeah, you're essentially ambushed. Exactly. Uh, did you guys grow up like with uh, guns or anything like that as well? Um, so, so my dad has uh, my dad has guns. Um, and they're, they're legal in South Africa. They are legal, guns? but yeah. it's very difficult to get them. So okay. it's, the, the process is is very like lengthy and and do you have to like apply for it, like yes. get a license. Yeah. Okay. So you have to you have to get a competency. So like a, a certificate, basically, to like that states you're competent to to own a firearm. And then for each firearm that you purchase, you have to apply for a license with the serial number of the gun that you purchase. So you buy the gun, you get the serial number, you can't take the gun with you, you apply for the license. And then it's supposed to take like four weeks, but it takes almost a year for the license to get approved. And once you get it, then only you can you go and pick up your gun. Okay. Um, So yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's a process. It's not like like you can just buy a gun. Yeah, and then then you're you're good, good. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. is there is there anything else um, you got going on anytime soon or um not nothing else in terms of uh, of any competitions coming up just training uh, yeah the the IBJJF majors and uh, hopefully those go well but yeah that's that's all we got coming up yeah well, well Luke thank you so much and uh, I'm personally a big fan I'm excited to see what you have coming up and I'm excited to watch you compete on Friday thanks sure uh, thanks for joining the show well, and thank you for having me it's yep. been great <laughs> and hopefully we talk again soon for sure take Sounds care good.